0: What is Off The Groove? It means you've blown the line, or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far, or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off The the Groove groove with Scotty Dubler. No Grand Nationals this weekend, but we're still here talking flat track. Back at you with episode number 40 of Off The Groove. Last weekend was Williams Grove Speedway, the half mile. Rain was in the area, so we got into a real quick hurry up program. We had practice, then qualifying, opening ceremonies, heat races, and main events, and it went fast. In the singles class, Tanner Dean was on fire. Didn't pick him to win, but now he's a guy we can't count out each race we go to. Hometown favorite, Shana Sextra finished up second, and Morgan Mishler, starting deep in the field, worked his way up to third, running a very high line, passing people where nobody else was running. Dan Bromley locked up the singles championship, running a solid 7th place finish. Great to see the support in his hometown. His family was there. It was a very special day for the Bromley family. In the Twins class, Breyer Bauman dominated the day, was fast right off the truck, seemed like they never made any changes, and he stayed up front, actually passed Meese for the lead, and walked away with the main event win. Younger brother Bronson, who started on the second row, finished second, his first career podium, just ahead of Meese, who finished his third. And now the fun stuff. Lap number one, going into tournament three, Johnny Lewis got in a little bit too hot, may have clipped the handlebars of Kenny Coolbeth, which caused a four-rider pileup. Coolbeth was very disappointed, was unable to restart because the radiator was cracked. When he got back to the hot and the cold box where all the rest of the riders and bikes were standing, Coolbeth kind of went after Johnny Lewis. Pushing and shoving went on, maybe a few punches, And on Wednesday night, AMA Pro Racing announced the penalties. Kenny Coolbeth, $2,500, one race suspension, Johnny Lewis placed on probation for one year. The flat track community has been showing support for Coolbeth throughout the week. Good that we have a couple weeks between races. That should allow the dust to settle a bit. One person enjoying a much deserved break is this week's guest, Michelle DeSalvo. She's the mechanic for Dave Zanotti Racing and wrenches for last week's Twins winner, Briar Bauman. We caught up with her earlier this week. We talked about the win, the 2018 season, and her own extensive racing career. Hello. Who, who's it? Is this the fastest chick in the pit area right now? Yes, it is. <laughs> Michelle DeSavo, uh, I know you are number 97. We race together a whole lot. I uh, just want to call and see what you're up to.
1: I'm actually at home relaxing right now. Uh, we just got done with, uh, Pennsylvania and got a nice big win there and just kind of come home and unwind a little bit and get ready for Minnesota.
0: So you get a few weeks off or you, I mean, you get a day or two off or what, what happens in between, you know, we had three weeks between, Pen, uh, you know, Pennsylvania and the Minneapolis race.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I had to drive a little bit to get to Wisconsin and we dropped our truck off there and flew home. And so you, that took a couple days and then, uh. I'll probably be home for about 10 days, and I'll have to fly out the week before Minnesota and and get the bikes prepped and ready for the mile.
0: Awesome. Well, let's just jump right into it and get to know Michelle DeSalvo. So where were you born?
1: I was born in Montana.
0: Well, how did you end up in in Salinas, California? Isn't that where you grew up?
1: Yeah, that's where I grew up uh, when I was just a baby. My dad had family in San Jose, California, and he, he had decided to move back home. And he had a job there in a motorcycle shop, of course. And so that that's how I got back to California.
0: So did you grow up down there in San Jose? Because I thought you grew up around the Salinas area. Is that all real close together?
1: Yeah, it's its about an hour away. And my dad had a, a job as a mechanic for a farming company in Salinas. I was about three years so that I remember. And we, we moved there and he, he worked on tractors and worked on the farm. And we were out in the middle of the, the fields. And that's that's where I grew up riding motorcycles.
0: Cool. When did you first ride a motorcycle?
1: Uh, It wasn't until I was nine. He he wanted to hold off. I really wanted to ride since I was a little kid. I mean, I can just remember standing by the motorcycle when he was warming it up and just hoping he'd put me on the gas tank and take me for a ride. And so that was, I mean, he just, he didn't want me to ride at first because it just, you know, parents, they want to protect their kids. So the last thing I want to do is put them on a motorcycle.
0: I I get it. I sure get it. You know, I, I, uh, (laughs) I want to be on a motorcycle as soon as I remember anything. I just want to be on a bike, too, so I get it. Your dad used to race motorcycles, too. What kind of racing did he do?
1: He did flat track as well. He raced in the in the 60s. He had an old Triumph and a BSA, and he raced District 36 and 37 in California.
0: That's cool. Do you remember going to the races and watching him race?
1: No, it was before I was around, so I, I okay. all I have is old black-and-white pictures. And He used to do flat track and little hill climb, and it he was, he was actually quite a good rider and he had hadn't had enough points to be an expert but never turned pro.
0: I gotcha. I've, uh, I've heard a lot of stories of same. you know that making that move up to a professional level it's hard for a lot of people to do, especially when you had a, a job that you had to get back to and making that step was you know really hard to do. so I, I've heard that story quite a few times before. When did you decide you wanted to start racing?
1: Oh, as soon as I got on the bike and, you know, we went to a, a local short track in Monterey and I was looking down at the kids and I'm telling my dad, I can beat those guys. I can beat those guys. And, and he made me wait a couple of years till I was 11 before he let me out on the racetrack. And then I just, I, I loved it so much. And that's, that was a, a family thing from then on. We we all get up Saturday morning and go to the races.
0: Wow. That's so cool. So, uh, you were 11 years old when you raced your first race. What number were you the first race you were on? Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, it was 38Y, and that was a number that the the district had given me that was just a random thing that that I originally had.
0: Okay, I gotcha. So what was it about motorcycle racing that appealed to you?
1: Uh, I'm just a real competitive person, and to be able to go out there and and go against other people and and just go all out, that that was just my thing.
0: Did you look up to any riders when you were first getting started?
1: Yeah, I mean, I being around Selena. So Ricky Graham was one of the writers that I always watched. And, you know, he was a pro at the time. And and I I went to the San Jose mile as a kid and I would watch Bubba Schobert and Scotty Parker. And, you know, those guys were winning at the time. And those were some of my heroes.
0: Awesome. So do you have a nickname?
1: I I don't. I don't have a nickname. I wish I was trying to think of something, but I I really have never had an an official nickname throughout my life.
0: How about just the fastest chick at the track? I like that.
1: (laughs) You can call me that. All right.
0: I like it. So uh, did you race anything besides flat track when you were first getting started? I know when we get into your career, you went on to Supermoto, but when you're first getting started, was it all flat track? All
1: flat track for the first 20 years.
0: Wow. I got you. So you mentioned you're at home right now and you kind of have a, about 10 days off. So what do you do when you're not working on motorcycles?
1: Well, there's a, a motocross race this weekend up in um, Sacramento. So I'm going to go up to the, and do that. So I try to ride whenever I'm home. You know, it's just I, I don't get to ride too often because we're just so busy. So I'm going to take my own personal bike out and go ride a little bit.
0: So what class are you going to ride? And you're going to sign up in the 450 pro class or is there a women's class or no, no. boys or what?
1: Uh, I I actually, I I ride this, uh, over the hill gang motocross series and it's based on age groups. And I'm in a a group with people, my age, and I'm in an intermediate class, which there, there's some pretty fast guys there, but I just get about fifth place and I go home happy.
0: That's all right. I like that. Do you, do you like beating the guys? I mean, I know, you know, in grand national flat track, there's no women's class, you know, per se, especially when you get to the pro ranks, do you enjoy beating the guys? Is that, is that part of what makes you go faster?
1: It's not that because when I was growing up, it was just a normal thing. No one ever told me that I, I couldn't do it. And like people would be impressed because I was beating the guys, but it was kind of just a normal thing. And it never really sunk in that that was like this big deal. The worst thing is, is when you have another girl out there who's fast and you don't want to get beat by her. I, I feel you. <laughs> And, and being being a woman on a motorcycle and you look over and see another one, you're like, i got to beat her. That's the only one I have to beat. And it, it's so funny, I think, for, for men and women to look across and see another woman that's more intimidating than the guys.
0: Yeah, I, I feel you. And I, I bet some of those guys in the AFT singles class uh, feel that right now when they line up against Shana. And I know, you know there's been some other fast ladies for a little while, but I definitely think that you're one of the faster ones. Uh, let's just jump into your career now because your resume – is outstanding i'm i'm so impressed when i've seen the notes that came up here when we started the you know doing the research for this interview and and you turned pro back in 1991 and then you entered the expert status in 1995 you earned your national number in 1997 yep. in 1998 you being, began competing in the harley davidson sports for performance series so uh you ran that series for quite a while as i did we raced each other quite a few times did you like the 883 series
1: Yes, I did. I mean, it, not at first. When I first got on the bike, I was like, this is the heaviest thing in the world, and I don't know how I'm going to get it around the racetrack, but I just kind of learned it, and I made it work.
0: Yeah, I, I enjoyed them, too. You know, some people said when they were watching them, it is kind of, you know, they're a little bit slower. They definitely were heavier, and my favorite part is I never fell off of one, so I never had to pick the dang thing up because I don't think I could have. <laughs>
1: Well, the only time I fell off one, I I, I don't remember it, so it, it's all good there.
0: <laughs> Must have fell off pretty hard.
1: Um, yeah, also... I got off at Springfield, real hard.
0: Ooh, on the mile? Yep. Dang, I don't. I wouldn't want to crash one of those things on a mile for sure. So it's a good thing you're all right, and uh, yeah, probably a good thing you don't remember that one. So you also raced? Yeah, yeah, raced... I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, we also raced together in the super tracker class. Did you like that class as well?
1: Yeah, that was that was fun. That was I had a uh, twelve hundred Harley, and the thing was just grossly overpowered. I mean, it, it was so fast I, it made Springfield feel like a short track. You could just burn the tire all the way down the straightaway if you wanted to, and it, it was a challenge to ride that thing.
0: Yeah, you had to have a lot of throttle control then, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, but it, it was just it, it was a whole new animal to ride that thing. I was out of control a lot of the time. <laughs>
0: Right on. So another interesting stat I found that you're one of five women in history to have a national number. Have you ever? Did you ever? Did you know that when you were racing, you were you know there's been a few more since you, but did you know that stat? I mean, did you keep track of that stuff?
1: I I, I knew there was a couple. I I, I didn't know their names, um, but I, I did know that there was a there was a couple before me. I think what was her name? Uh, Tammy Kirk. God, I can't remember the name. Yeah, Tammy Kirk. Yep. Yeah. yeah,
0: Yep. 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 Yep, I remember. She she went pretty fast for a little while. I think she. I don't think her career was quite as long as yours. But um, you raced four full seasons primarily on the 883, and then in 2000 was your trip. Uh, you were one of the top riders. Become the first woman to earn an AMA Dirt Track Championship title, and that was the Hot Shoe Series, which is no longer around, but is usually like the night before uh, some of the nationals, or and they they were also in other locations that the Grand Nationals didn't go to, and you won the championship on the 883 class. How important was it to you to win that championship?
1: Uh, it, it was just a, a great feeling. I, I mean, I know it's not the GNC championship, but to be able to get a number one plate in any of those series, you got to be on your game. And so that was a, a, a great feeling and, and a really huge accomplishment.
0: And the, probably the highlight of that year was you won a race on the 883 on that hot shoe series in Zanesville, Ohio, on your birthday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a good day. I was, I left there real happy.
0: That's for sure. Do you still have that trophy?
1: I do. It's sitting on the shelf at my dad's place.
0: Right on. That's cool. So 2003 was your last year. You ran, you know, GNC flat track. You actually ran an XR 750 for about half the year and kind of had to hang it up due to lack of funding. So how exciting was it to ride an XR 750?
1: It was amazing. I mean, the first time I got out on the racetrack, it was like a whole nother level of intensity. And, and I come off the super tracker thinking, yeah, I can probably run with these guys. And I I, I was surprised. I mean, that's just a whole nother level. And those guys are just so fast. It It would have taken a couple of years just to get up to speed to run with them.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a big difference you know with the super tracker class you know there are some fast guys and gals in there you, you, you're the fast girl of course but there's a lot of fast guys that would come race the super tracker class but like you said is a whole nother level when you're racing it's the GNC guys so uh, in 2005 you competed in the NorCal Supermoto USA racing series uh, you got third overall in the 450 class and sixth overall in the open pro so how did you like the Supermoto racing
1: uh, it was actually pretty fun. It, it's a lot like dirt track, except you have traction all the time. You get to slide around on pavement, not dirt. So it was, it was actually pretty easy t- for me to, to jump into that and do it.
0: I was going to say, you just mentioned how easy it was, but was there a little bit of transition from flat track to supermoto Cause it, you know, you have jumps, you got to do some pavement and dirt. So how, how hard was that transition? It like you didn't, you made it pretty easy.
1: It, it wasn't bad. I mean, I always preferred the TT races. So To jump on the supermoto bike, it wasn't too tough to make the change.
0: So, why did you jump to supermoto? Were you were you successful and and done with flat track, or supermoto was just closer and easier? Why did you switch over?
1: It, It was just more of a financial thing because on the XR, I just I couldn't afford to keep running it, and it's as everybody knows how much it costs to run a program and travel all over the country, especially when you're someone who lives on one end of the country if you live in the middle maybe you can get to more races but being from california it was really difficult for me to to travel
0: that's actually part of the reason we ended up in oklahoma my dad thought we could go to either coast and and do it you know in a weekend and make it back to to go to work on monday so i understand what you're saying if you're in california it takes you a day or two just to get to a race sometimes so I definitely understand where you're coming from. So, in 2006, you competed in the AMA Pro Supermoto Series and became the first woman to qualify for a 450 final at Road America. Do you remember that day?
1: Yeah, I was sick as a dog, and it was a it was a really long, hot day. And and I had qualified. I was like the last person to qualify, but that was that was a great day. And it was, I finally had made a final. I was trying and trying, and and I finally got good enough to
0: to qualify. So after you made your first one, it seemed like it must have made it easier because you made all the rest of them from there on out in that season.
1: Yeah, I was making improvements from week to week and and some of the tracks suited me better. Of course, the off-road was always my weak point because I just, I didn't have any motocross experience.
0: Okay. So you went overseas and competed in Belgium and Holland for the Supermoto Championship Series in 2007 and 2008. So what made you decide to just pack up everything you had and go overseas to go racing?
1: Uh, I was watching a a world championship race in Athens, Greece, and it was on this airport runway and they were just going so fast and sliding and and it was just this beautiful place. And I thought, I I really want to go do this. And it turned out that I had a friend of a friend who was in England and they set me up with a ride and I got an airplane ticket, went over and, and I did my first race over there.
0: So you packed up everything you had and and moved over there or were you going back and forth or how'd that work out?
1: Uh, At first I I had just gone over just for the one race. And that was the end of 2006. And I met somebody at at the race that I was at and he just came into my pit and he goes, you're going to ride for me next year. He had been watching my lap times and he was impressed. And I'm just like, well, who are you? I I have no clue who you are. (laughs) That's just a total complete stranger. And within four months i quit my job i moved out of my house i put all my stuff in my friend's garage and i, I threw all my belongings that i wanted in a crate and sent it over to, to europe
0: wow that's that's a crazy story i don't know if i've would have been brave enough to do that i mean that's that's incredible
1: yeah i was driving down the freeway with a, a van loaded my stuff and just thinking to myself what am i doing
0: <laughs> <laughs> i bet i would be too so in 2009 you raced the the fim world championship supermoto series in 2010 the monobike 450 there's a 10 races you end up fourth overall can you explain to our listeners what monobike series is and how it differs from any other forms of motorcycle racing um
1: the monobike is a road race class and the only rule is that you have one cylinder so you can run any size of motorcycle that you want. You can run a fairing, you can run a super motor style motorcycle, but the only rule is that you have to have one piston.
0: Okay. So did you ride a Rotax or did you ride a big, you know, a 500 CC? What kind of bike did you ride in that class?
1: we were running suzuki so i was on the rmz 450 at first and then eventually we built it up to a 530 so we did some major major changes to the motorcycle and i mean nothing was stock when we were done with it and it, it would run for a weekend and need need to be rebuilt because it was just overbuilt
0: wow that's crazy you uh finished fourth in 10 in a 10 race series over there and then in, you won the two belgium motorbike championships in 2011 and 2012 anything really stand out to you in those two years
1: um the 2011 was the championship that I won and then in 2012 I finished second on that there was one race at the very end I would I had never won overall because they would run two classes together and it came down to a draft pass at the finish and I had reeled the guy in from a straightaway behind and I won the race by like an inch and everybody the officials came out of the tower people were coming down the hillside and that was just like a really big celebration so it was a really good race
0: that's cool so you beat the guys that were in the other class that you were paired up against so that guy you draft was he in a, a bigger motor class or a different you know what, what kind of class was he, he in he,
1: well they run a 450 and an open class together so there could be 20 guys on the racetrack at one time so they would always run run us together and, and do it like that
0: that's cool were you the only girl in that series as well or was there other females racing with you
1: i was the only girl
0: wow you're awesome you also won another <laughs> <Thank> championship you. <laughs> you also won another championship in 2012 <laughs> racing the dutch flat track series how does their flat track racing different from the races over here in the U S
1: the way that they do the heat races, you would do three heat races and then you'd score points according to where you finished on those three heat races and they would have three starting lines. And so you would start in the front row, the middle row and the back row each time out. And they would just rotate the riders and you'd always have one front row start. And based on the points that you earned in the heat races, how you would start on the, on the final.
0: So you add points up from where you started and where you finished, and that's how you lined up for the for the main event.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a uh, round robin.
0: I got gotcha. you. So how how hard was it to get used to living over there and traveling to the different countries and everything, as compared to you know what we do over here in the United States?
1: Uh, it, it was difficult because I didn't recognize anything there. So whenever I drove around, I, was, I get lost for the first two months, and just they speak Flemish there, so it it was really hard to communicate at first because I didn't know a word of Flemish.
0: Wow. So you had a mechanic that spoke a different language or were you your own mechanic?
1: I was my own mechanic. And that was part of the deal when I worked over there that I would help prepare the bikes. And I mean, at one time, gosh, we had like eight riders. So it was like all week long, we would prepare motorcycles and then they come back to us on the next week. and, And we were just week after week, just prepping motorcycles.
0: Wow, so that was basically your full-time job—is to get your bike ready for the next race.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like I said, we with all the other riders, I was doing a lot of their stuff too. So that was that was nonstop there.
0: So just a little while ago, you said you haven't really quit racing, but at one point, did you decide you wanted to stop being a professional racer or supermoto racer and start being a mechanic over here on the Grand National level in the United States?
1: Uh, just when the opportunity to work with Dave came up, I mean that Zanotti's just synonymous with perfect motorcycles and beautiful machines and and i had to do it i I wanted to do it real bad and i just
0: i went for it so you you, when did you start uh, working for dave zanotti i'm gonna try to have him on here you know later on i want to i want to hear his side of the story too but when did when did you start working for dave zanotti
1: that was 2013
0: and who was your riders
1: uh we started out with uh steve bonzi and we had kenny coolbeth on the 450s
0: Okay. Did you enjoy working with those two guys?
1: Absolutely. I, I, I've always enjoyed working with all the riders. And you know, and, and being a rider myself, I know there's a lot of struggles going on in, in, in their heads, and, and there's a lot of stresses and other things happening. So I'm usually understanding of what's going on, and I, I, I've never had a
0: problem with anybody. So when they come in off the track and they, they try to tell you something's happening in turn number two, can you just know by just what they're what they're talking about the sensation they're talking about and you can just fix it right away or do you have more you have to have more dialogue than that
1: um you you just need to to talk about it and and see what the issue is and and that's how we approach things and and dave does more of the setup than i do and so when like when briar comes off the racetrack he'll come in and he'll tell dave it's doing this it's doing that and and dave will make the adjustments and and i'll you know if there's a gear change or or whatever i'll do that so i mean actually dave handles a lot of the setup that that we do
0: okay so during the week are you in charge of maintaining the bikes and do you go through the bikes you know every week as needed is that is that your full-time job then
1: yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. And, and and Dave's with me on that. So I mean, we just kind of go over together and, and see if either one of us spots anything. I mean, I, I do the majority of the labor on the bikes. And you know, he oversees it so that we don't miss anything.
0: I gotcha. So what about Dave impresses you? And why did you want to work for him?
1: Uh, just the level of discipline that you have to achieve to work for a guy like that. You know, there's that it's not easy sometimes. But in the end, I mean, we have, a, I think, one of the better machines on the racetrack.
0: And you've had a lot of different brands. Has that been hard for you to keep, keep up with? I mean, you've worked on all kinds of different motorcycles, it sounds like. So it doesn't really matter what kind of motorcycle you guys are working on. You got your hands involved and you're, you're deep into it.
1: Yeah, and, and as far as the brand changes, it, it hasn't been too difficult. I mean, it, it's still a flat-track motorcycle. You're still going to change tires and oil and, and check it over just like you would any other motorcycle. And so it hasn't been too difficult because you're still doing a lot of the same things that you would do on any brand.
0: Okay, I get it. Uh, sure, I sure do have a lot of respect for Dave Zanotti because a lot of people don't really realize, but Dave's dad was a tuner. And won a championship with Steve Eklund, and then Dave went on to be a tuner and win a championship with Jake Johnson. I just think that's you know one of the coolest stories in the pit area.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, and and he's he tries so hard. His intensity is just amazing. The the guy just he he lives and breathes flat track, and and that's you know why he's winning. He he's just smart and he knows what he wants and he knows how to do it.
0: Yeah, he's, he's such a good guy, too. It doesn't matter what he's doing. If he sees me when I'm walking to the pit area, he'll stop what he's doing. He usually wipes off his hands because he's deep involved in something and shake my hand and, and, and says hi to me no matter what's going on. And I just I got so much respect for him.
1: Yeah, and, and he's always so fair to everybody, you know, and he, he will take the time. And, you know, that's, that's hard to find in a person where they'll just stop and drop what they're doing just
0: to say hello. Does he talk to you about riders that you guys might have ride for you, too, or is that pretty much up to him?
1: Yeah, he, he runs things by me sometimes. You know, it's just the two of us doing all the work. So we, we definitely have discussions about those kinds of things.
0: When you guys picked up Briar Bauman, was that an easy transition? Was he easy to start working for?
1: Oh, he, he's amazing. That, he's, I, I, I could not say enough good things about him. He's just been perfect. He, he's a great person. He, he's nice. He, he shows gratitude. He appreciates everything that we do. And, and we do the same for him. He, he's a hard worker.
0: I love it let's talk about 2017 just a little bit uh he wins his first twins race at the lima half mile how cool is that for you to be there with him and be part of that experience
1: i was in tears right with him i mean that was just we were trying so hard and and i mean briar would go man i think i can win i think i can win and we'd get so close and we went to lima and it finally happened and he just dominated and it it was an amazing amazing night
0: Yeah, I I enjoyed it, and I got to live up to a promise I made to him a long time ago. When he won his first Twins Grand National Main Event, I was going to be the one interviewing him. I'm glad it happened there because I only had to go down about 12 steps to get down there, so I'm glad it happened there. (laughs) Let's talk about the Buffalo Chip, not too much further down the road. He he wins there, too, and that was pretty impressive because he actually fell off when Henry landed on the jump and laid the oil Mm -hmm. down. Breyer fell down and, and he 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 crashed pretty hard, got back up and they one of the rules they let him start at the front and he went on to win that race as well
1: yeah and and that was a, a really hectic night because there were so many restarts and at first we, we thought because we went down that we were going to go to the back of the pack and because we didn't cause the wreck, they let us start in front and from then on he just went on to win it so that was that was a great night as well
0: yeah. I think that one had me, in the you know that'll go down in the memory books for sure. I, I, I'll never forget that night. It was awesome. Let's talk about 2018 just a little bit. Kind of a roller coaster season so far. Several races. You guys are just off the box. You got two second place finishes, and you finally got the one win last weekend. So has 2018 been good for you guys, or how do you feel 2018 shaking down?
1: Uh, it's it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. We started off really good, and then and then we got there in a lull, kind of in the middle, and and then got back on. I mean, just recently when we started running the Indian and everything started to turn around for us. And I mean, just getting on the Indian is something that we felt needed to happen. And the guys that are working at S&S out in Viola, Wisconsin, that developed this motorcycle, they really did their homework and they've been great to us. I mean, every step of the way, they've been getting us up to speed and working with a laptop, which is something that we didn't have before. I mean, they've just been great.
0: So what was it like when you got to work on that bike and, and the engine for the very first time? I know we asked the riders, you know, when they throw their leg on it, what's their first thoughts? So as a mechanic, what are your first thoughts getting to work on one and and, and touch it and do all the things you get to do to it? What What's your first thoughts on the Indian?
1: At first, I wasn't sure what to think. And, and now that I've got used to it and we've done a few races on it, I, I love it. You know, the, the more I work on it, the more I like it. And I, I, just got have to get to know it and it's just something new and just like anything, we'll, we'll get it going. And it took us a few races and Breyer was putting in some really good lap times. We just weren't quite there and, and we knew it was coming. So when we went to Pennsylvania this past weekend, it was, it was good to see it come together.
0: Let's talk about the weekend in Pennsylvania. The race program, we were in kind of a hurry up mode due to the weather. It rained the night before. It rained, you know, leading up to the time we got there. The track was really smooth, though. When we got going, we went straight into practice, into qualifying, to opening ceremonies, to a heat race in the main. Did you like the hurry up program? And how did that affect you as a mechanic?
1: Uh, The hurry up program wasn't bad. Um, The only thing for a mechanic in a situation like that is if you have an issue and you don't have time to fix it. And luckily, we had zero issues all weekend. And so everything went smoothly. We had plenty of time to do whatever changes that we needed to do. So it it went really smoothly for us.
0: So on a new motorcycle, how how do you figure out? exactly what gearing to start with i mean i know that was the biggest challenge when we would show up to a racetrack on any motorcycle but on an indian a new bike to you how do you even decide where to start when you get there
1: well the the things that we do now i mean we we don't have a lot of data on the indian and so we we were looking at what we did last year on on another brand and then we would go okay we ran this gearing at this track so we kind of transpose it into what the indian might be and that's that's how we make our choices for gearing
0: Okay, so you just basically use the gear ratio you ended up with last year on on whatever brand it was, Kawasaki or whatever, and then you transfer that over to the Indian.
1: Yeah, so we'll we'll see. Oh, we ran this gear ratio at this particular track, and then we'll see how that would be on the Indian with its overall ratio, and then th- that's how we figure out where we need to be.
0: Okay, I love it. So, Brian looked strong bit. all day. Right off, you know, right from the get go, just unloading, unloading. Were you guys? Did you hit the setup right off the bat and and walk us through the day? Did you have to make any changes or very many changes to the bike?
1: actually no i mean we're we're pretty much set on our setup, so we don't have to do a ton of changes and as far as tire, we're i mean and we didn't even have to change any tires the tires would last all day so it was it was actually a pretty smooth day we didn't have to do a lot and just little minor clicks on the suspension and he you know when he came in he he would feel when the track was changing and we just it was just a bunch of minor changes
0: right on so did not running the semi races have an impact on how your day pan uh you know played out
1: Oh, not really, because I mean he was on his game all day. So I, I think whether there was a heat race or not, he was still going to be able to run where he was running. So I, I don't think that really affected us too, too much.
0: Gotcha. So there's only t- two races left here in the season. In the season, both of them are miles. Uh, I don't think very many of our riders have even raced at at the Minnesota race. I know. I think you probably did back in the day. I know I did once. With these last two miles races, what's your goal? Are you try to try to win the last two? Try to beat Jared Meese? Do you have personal goals as a mechanic?
1: Uh, we're just gonna go out there and do it. We always do. I mean, we we go there to win, and we're gonna do the same thing. And hopefully, we'll be up front. All
0: right. I want to back up just a little bit because uh, the Springfield Mile I thought was really impressive. The four way, you know, riders that checked out Briar was a big part of that. Um, do you did you talk to him about the drafting, or does he? Does he even ask questions about drafting that you can help him out with? Cause he was up there with the lead group and, and he kind of did a bonsai move in turn number three on that last lap. So did you guys, do you work on strategy with him at all?
1: Uh, a little bit. I mean, it's pretty much up to him. He, he's the one out there and he, he's feeling things and he's seeing what's going on. So it's, it's up to him to decide how he wants to attack the race.
0: Okay. So off season is quickly approaching us. When do you start planning for what's going to happen in the off season?
1: Um, it just, we're nonstop. I mean, when, when we're not racing, we're making stuff for the motorcycle. Dave's always making upgrades and making parts and, and different things for the bike. So, I mean, we, we really don't stop.
0: <laughs> do you get any downtime at all? I mean, it sounds like you had a couple of days right now, but in the off season, do you have any downtime where you can go enjoy yourself and maybe ride some?
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there's times if I want to take time, I can go do it during the winter. But, I mean, like we, we put so many hours in during the season that I, I need to get away sometimes.
0: I got gotcha. you. So do you guys know what you're doing yet for 2019, or is that still top-secret information?
1: That's still top-secret information.
0: All right. Let's change the subject then. Tell me about your badass <laughs> dog.
1: Oh, uh, I have a, uh, a pit bull that I have that I rescued about uh 2012 on new year's eve and that's my my baby
0: what's the what's the dog's name
1: his name is chewy and chewy. that was a name that uh they gave him at the rescue shelter and
0: oh, the answer cool, to it man. so it kind of stuck yeah that's very cool so uh does chewy and go to the no
1: he doesn't so he's he's at the babysitter so he's always happy to see me like i, I rolled in last night and he was barking like crazy
0: and, and then mama was home Yep, that's awesome. So, uh, tell me something about Michelle de Saville that I don't know.
1: Um, I'm always trying to learn new languages. Uh, once I went to Europe, I, I learned Flemish, and I, I'm not great at it, but I can communicate and type and and be able to read and write it. And now I'm learning Portuguese, so that's my next language on the list.
0: How, how are you learning that? Do you like do you go to school for it, or how do you, how are you learning these languages? Uh,
1: there's online. Apps that you can go to and, and they, they pretty much walk you through how to learn different languages and they quiz you and eh, it's just something I do in my spare time or in the mornings when I'm eating breakfast.
0: That is impressive, I love it. So um, my, my gram is Kathy and she's a big fan of yours and she remembers, you know, watching you and me race against each other and stuff like that. But her question to you is, do you get more satisfaction out of racing or seeing your rider do well on a bike that you're tuning?
1: Oh, I was afraid you're gonna ask that. The thing is, when you're racing, and like I was doing everything myself, so if there was ever an issue, it wasn't a big deal because I, I had done it for myself. And now, I mean, working with the team and 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 another rider, it's really a lot of satisfaction. It's not the same, but there's a lot of satisfaction there because somebody's trusting you to bring equipment and support to a race, and when you can make it all come together and and get a win. I mean, it's just amazing. It's it's just the, one of the greatest feelings you'll ever experience. Because I mean, like I said, Breyers trusting us to to have everything ready for him when he shows up, goes on the racetrack, and and he's fast all day. And it's just it's a really good feeling to watch all the hard work that we put in, just the results that we get.
0: Yeah, that's got to be such a great feeling. I don't think I'll ever experience that myself, but I'm glad you get the opportunity to do that. So it's time for our rapid fire questions. So the first thing that pops into your head when I ask the question. What is your favorite bike that you've ever ridden?
1: Uh, It's got to be the Super Tracker, the the 1200. That that thing was a blast.
0: Okay. What's your favorite racetrack? Peoria. Okay. You mentioned you ride a little moto. So uh, who's your favorite professional motocross rider?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, That's a a tough one. I'd say Ken Roxon, because the guy's an animal.
0: Okay. I love it. So here, here's a real tough one. So out of the, the five national numbers that I could find, so we got you, Shana Texter, Nicole Meese, Stevie Welch, and Tammy Kirk. So you're all lined up at the starting line for Dash for Cash. This is all all of you in the prime of your career. Who wins the Dash for Cash, and what's the finishing order?
1: Oh, gosh, I, I, I would almost I, – I, I'd be in the top three somewhere, but I, I would guess that Nicole and Shana would beat me. Really? Yeah.
0: You're, that, you're yep. that impressed with those two? That's impressive. I, oh, I the,
1: the- – they're amazing riders.
0: Yeah. They, they both have their strong points, and I, I think you do as well. So I would love to see it maybe on, like, three different kinds of racetracks, too, and maybe, you know, on all equal motorcycles. I'd love to see that. What you've done is is so impressive. I, I'm glad to see, you know, all your uh, accomplishments, you know, right here in front of me. So i got one more rapid-fire question for you. So you mentioned you learned a little Flemish and other languages. Uh, can you say I love Off the Groove in any other language?
1: Yeah, Calvin, Off the Groove.
0: What language is that?
1: That's Flemish.
0: All right. I love it. So, we're at the end of our episode, and I know there's a lot of people that helped you get where you're at today. Would you like to say thanks to anybody?
1: Yes, I would. Um, There's a lot of people. I mean, I I just want to thank Dave and Briar for just making a great team this year you know i i couldn't even begin to list all the people that have helped me over the years it it, it would take up the whole show
0: awesome well again michelle we appreciate the time congratulations on the win uh at pennsylvania and uh, maybe you can finish out with two more wins this year and uh, we'll see you at the racetrack
1: okay thank you for having
0: me you betcha number 97 is how i know her you guys might know her as briar bauman's mechanic michelle de salvo Appreciate Michelle taking the time between races to chat with us here on Off The Groove. Thanks to you folks out there for listening as well. Smash that like button, give us a follow on Facebook, and continue spreading the word. We recently passed 20,000 plays on SoundCloud, something we're unbelievably proud of. And it's all due to you guys tuning in. We'll talk to you next week when we catch up with two people who are guaranteed to improve your soul.